Welcome to the CBIA BizCast. I'm your host, Allie Warshevsky, and today on our podcast, we have Jalan Agnew. She is a licensed clinical social worker, founder of Knowledge of Self LLC, which is actually her name spelled backwards. Very creative. I love that. And we at CBIA know her uh, work. We know her from her work at Copper Beach Institute because she comes in and teaches us about mindfulness before our staff meetings. And really, she just makes us crack up harder than we've ever laughed before, which is also such a treat. And she is coming to our When Women Lead event to also uh, speak there and lead a mindfulness exercise on May 19th. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we are so excited to have you again. We've just never heard you speak and not been entertained or walked away learning something about ourselves. But what inspired you to go into mental health? Um, well, actually, I promised myself, my mom is a social worker, I promised I would never be a social worker. <laughs> and then I got my first job, which, you know, there was an opening, because in social work, they're always hiring. And um, I did good at it, and I kind of liked it, and I connected with people. And from there, it was just a string of opportunities that led me to realize, like, I am a social worker. <laughs> <laughs> What does your mom think about that? Oh, you know, she's very proud. She's very proud. She's going around saying, look at, look at the, the, the Jalan. Look, she's a social worker. And I'm like, mother. But you got to let her have it, right? Because she's right. I know. I know the same feeling. My mom, when I was younger, signed me up uh, for a camp that focused on journalism. And I was like, I'm not going to be a journalist, mom. Mm -hmm. And Maybe not. 10 years, right? Maybe not. It is crazy the intuition they have. But, you know, that cannot be an easy job. You know, how do you manage that? Because some of the stories you must hear, you got to, maybe you carry them home. How do you separate that? Well, that's, that's a great question because a lot of people, they love what I do and they'll throw all of their life secrets at me and then be like, I don't know how you do this. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, it, it is a calling, right? It is, it is a purpose. I understand that. But I had to learn um, from experience. I'm an experiential learner. I don't like to say that I'm hard-headed. I say I'm an experiential learner. So I had to learn that there had to be a separation between myself and work. And I was doing a great job of that, of separating that out. It got harder during COVID because now I'm working from home and really just designating different spaces in my house to different things. And my mindfulness practice when I'm not working literally saves my life. Which we need to learn more about. And um, you come in and teach us that every time we have a meeting. But you did start working with Copper Beach. What exactly is their mission and how did you get involved with teaching mindfulness through them? So when I first started um, teaching, doing groups about dialectical behavioral therapy, my coworker said to me, Jalan, you know you have to have a mindfulness practice in order to teach mindfulness. Now, I did not read that in the manual. <laughs> um, I was a little taken aback by that, but she suggested some different places to go to workshops or trainings. And I went to Copper Beach, and I did the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. I highly, highly recommend it. And it taught you how to meditate, right? So everybody's walking around using the word meditate, but nobody's teaching you how to do so. So it was a six-week program over the course of a couple of weeks where we sat and learned how to be still and be silent. Because we live and grew up and were trained in America, we have been taught to multitask. Therefore, mindfulness will have to be taught as a new skill. 
it's not going to be something that comes naturally. So when I got into my own mindfulness practice, I reached out to Copper Beach and I said, I am now a mindfulness instructor. Can I come on down, right, and sprinkle some of my magic there? And they, they kind of tried me out. And when you meet me, I'm a lot, right? <laughs> and so they had, me, had, they had me do one. And after that one, it was kind of a thing of, like, you've got to get on the team. So mm-hmm. I, I respect Copper Beach because they were the ones who introduced me to mindfulness. And I love being able to now. It was like a reciprocal process. And, like, I'm now giving someone what I received from Copper Beach. So I love that connection. Um, with the mindfulness was that something, how, you know, are you still learning it? Did you pick it up right away? Mm. It seems for me, especially, my mind goes a million hours, a million miles, I should say, an hour. How hard was it for you to pick that up? Or do you just kind of have that skill set where it's a little bit easier than most? It was very, very difficult. Um, I, I think people with mental health diagnosis are magical and have superpowers, and therefore I say we are magical because I suffer with depression and anxiety. So my mind, I, the way I describe it, it's like Times Square it has a ticker going, five bands playing at the same time with 3,000 people trying to talk to me. So the long answer to your question is absolutely not easy at all and still is not easy for me. Uh, mindfulness is a practice like anything else because what my brain naturally does is, is go and play scenarios while they go. And it does this thing where it could be moving at five things at once and nothing's getting done because I'm so overwhelmed with it. So was it easy? Absolutely not. It takes, you start small. I started with two minutes. You know, started with two minutes at a time in my own practice. And the the most that I did, seven days, silent retreat. No talking for seven days. And they asked us to submit our phones. Did I submit my phone? No, I did not. But it sounds more dramatic in the story when I say that. However, comma, seven days of meditation for like nine hours a day. So starting from two minutes. So it's a practice that you build upon. So those two minutes, you know, if you're instructing someone for the first two minutes that they're going to try this, what do you tell them? Mm. So the first thing I say, and here I go into my mindfulness mind bag, the first thing I say is you have to make the conscious choice to have your mind and your body at the same place at the same time. Mindfulness is is first the choice to be present. That's the first thing. So you can say I'm being mindful, but if you haven't made the choice to try, then you're just Mm -hmm. doing one thing while thinking about something else. So the first choice would be to make the choice to be mindful, mindful. The second choice is to choose an anchor So an anchor is what you're going to pay attention to and bring your attention back to when, not if, right, when your mind uh, moves. So that could be breath. A lot of people use breath. Breath is amazing because you always have it with you. So we can use breath as the anchor. And what you do when you focus on that is you focus on the in and you focus on the out. If you can do nothing else, focus on your breathing. Magical people like myself, we might need a couple of anchors, and that's where you see music come in, and that's where you see words as far as guided meditation come in. But the whole point of, of mindfulness is to do one thing at one time and be completely present in the moment. So, would you suggest for someone starting off two minutes? Just try two minutes? Yeah, 30 seconds to a minute. 30, okay, all right. Commit, commit as small as you can and focus on your breath. If you want to put music in the background, do that. Do it for one minute. See how you feel after. And, and again, what I love about mindfulness is there's a non-judgmental component of this is not going to be what you learned in other, other um, 
institutions, there's no shame or guilt, right? So when your mind shifts off topic, good. That's what the mind is supposed to do. You become mindful the moment you decide to bring it back mm -hmm. into that anchor. So there's your self-compassion. And a lot of other institutions don't teach you self-compassion. They just teach you to do something. We're saying try to do it. And if you can't, good. That means you're human. Try again next time. Oh, I love that because I do think sometimes when I've done yoga, I'm like, oh, I stink at this. I cannot focus. But if you um, retrain your brain to think, I'm not supposed to, that's how you know it works, but I'm going to try right. and, and I'm going to get better, then right. it's probably better to have that positive self-talk yes. than negative. Yes. I'm a huge, huge believer that motivate yourself with positive self-talk. Don't motivate yourself with negative self-talk. This is the difference between saying, see, I told you a fat behind, you should have got up and went to the gym. That's why you, that's why your boyfriend's hated like your jeans didn't fit. Or that's the difference between saying that and like, I know you don't like working out, let's do this, right? Let's do it together, let's get up, let's have a good time. Even if we don't have a good time, let's just get it done. Those are two different conversations about the same act. And what happens during the act is you feel different depending on your motivation behind the act itself. I've noticed that also. That is so true. Um, as a personal trainer on this side, I always say, if you're your biggest cheerleader, you will actually go further than if you start beating yourself down. Um, and I think that's the same thing with this mindfulness practice. Not that I am a mindfulness expert because I definitely struggle um, a lot. And I am a woman, I'm a working woman. Um, when Women Lead is all about working powerful women. Do you think, and I could be completely wrong, but that women struggle with this more because I think we notice that we seem to have the brains that want to get the groceries done, dust the house, do the job, take care of the kid all in 24 hours. And sometimes men have a little bit more of a relaxed approach depending on, mm -hmm. depending on the person. Yeah. I would definitely say because of the responsibilities that women have, right, we're expected to operate out of our emotional and rational minds at the same time. The others, maybe just one side. Um, so yes, it is more difficult because of the responsibilities we have, but that means that it's more important because of the responsibilities we have. And I can tell a story of uh, being at a wedding and being, um, I was a bridesmaid and it was beautiful, it was in Dumbo, it was wonderful. And so the bride's like looking out the window, is my dad here, the candle's here, what's going on at the table? And I'm like, this is supposed to be the best day of your life. Let's be mindfulness, like, let's be mindful, let's stay in the moment. And she told me to shut up. but. <laughs> <laughs> but my point to my story is, and if you've heard that story before, yes, I tell the same story. It's okay. It's fine. Um, my point in that, how many times do we have events that we look forward to that we cannot be present for? That's what happens when you don't practice the mindfulness ever. It's, it's not just you avoiding the things you don't want to do. You miss out on the beauty of life. So it's one of those things of like mindfulness is helping you to remember that you're alive. The way capitalism has set us up on this go, 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 go thing. That's why we keep saying time is moving fast. It's not moving fast. We're not paying attention. That's true. I guess time never really changes. I mean, it just keeps going. Right, right. You can feel like it's slow or fast, but it's, it's really the constant. You know, what are some tips um, with like maybe just you're going about your day of when you can take maybe mindfulness breaks or just be more mindful? I think, um, and I'm, I'm going to talk specifically to moms because a lot of moms will tell me that they don't have anywhere that they can be completely alone because it's between work and home or if both of those things happen mm -hmm. in the same place. If you don't get in your car and pretend to go to the grocery store for 10 minutes and sit in the car, you can have a mindfulness five in the car with the music on and the wind blowing and the windows down and paying attention to nature. 
find some place that you can go for five to 10 minutes without interruption. Those are gonna be great times for, ev for everyone else, for working folks. Pay attention to your body, right? Because sometimes we're going so much, we'll get to Friday and be like, I'm exhausted. No, your body's been hurting since Tuesday at noon. You didn't pay attention to it, right? So if we, the more we pay attention to our bodies, the more self-compassion we can have of like, I probably need a moment to sit down and focus on the present because my back is hurting. So really, really paying attention to what you feel like. And you might have to schedule mindfulness breaks mm -hmm. because if they are not natural yet, you schedule them like you schedule everything else and you let people know kind of I need this time for me to do what I have to do. And that also means staying off the people's social media. Mm -hmm. Which is just so easy and, and really not a break for your mind. So, you know, say you are at a desk. Do you suggest maybe you just have a place that you walk to? Do you, so do it somewhere else other than where your most of your work is done? Yes, I would highly suggest that. Um, but your practice can start before that. So if you're sitting at a desk, the moment you get up, now be mindful. Walk mindfully, right? Put your lotion on your hands mindfully. Take your drink of water mindfully. Remember, mindful, mindfulness is just doing one thing at one time and paying attention to it. So your mindfulness practice wouldn't start when you got up and sat down. Your mindfulness practice stands when you, starts when you stand up and you begin to move towards that place. You can do a, walk, you can do a walking mindfulness practice. Anything can be mindful if that's the only thing you're focusing on. Okay, so say I know a lot of our coworkers go for a walk around Bushnell Park. If I went alone and I want to be mindful, do I start to f focus on my feet on the ground, the sky? Like, mm -hmm. just take me through a quick 30 seconds of how I get myself there. Cool. So you choose your anchor first, right? So if I'm going to focus on breath, say I focus on breath and colors, mm -hmm. right? So now I'm walking and I'm breathing and I'm noticing the blue in the air and I'm noticing maybe a blue car, and I'm noticing these are all things that are helping you stay in the moment and where you are. So if you use your anchors, pick them first, and now you're taking a walk and you're finding, you're looking at everything that's blue and you're paying attention to that. And another thing, when you pay attention to something, you don't hook onto it, you observe it and you let it go. So I'm observing blue and I'm taking a walk. You're paying attention to how your feet feel, to how your body feels. It's really cool too, because sometimes you'll be here and if you don't pay attention to it, you can't move it. So it's of like noticing what's happening in your body the whole time you're doing that. That is true. I definitely, this is me mm -hmm. all the time. That's where I carry my tension. Mm -hmm. And it's good to think like, okay, the colors. I never thought about that. I'm always, I'm just, go back to this yoga thing, but like so bad because I'm just like, I can't focus on my breathing, but maybe the focus goes off of that. Yeah. Yeah, you can pick you can pick your anchors and you can pick how many of them you're going to work on. Mm -hmm. And the, the big goal is to have one or none, mm -hmm. but that's still better than kind of being bombarded by all colors and sounds and everything. It's like choosing what you're going to focus on. I love that. Now, people, um, you know, I, I knock on wood, I love to say that we are on the other side of this pandemic. Um, fingers crossed. So the people that are coming to you with stressors, have, how have they changed? Because I think you definitely dealt with the start of the pandemic and, and that stress, then the in the middle of it. But now, what stresses are you seeing people talk to you about now that they're returning to maybe a more normal but almost a new normal life? I, I think it's so cool because what I'm seeing is women specifically saying, 
I did the school. I did what I needed to do. I've been, you know, this kind of worker. I've done all the things. And yet I realized through COVID that that's not really what's important to me. So having a lot of people kind of realize of maybe I was that person when I had those goals, mm -hmm. but right now what I really want to do looks different for me. And the conflict of that, right? Somebody said to me the other day, I spent eight damn years in school and two years for this. I can't walk away from this. And I'm like, tell me about your, tell me about your body right now. Tell me about your, your headaches that you're having every day. Tell me about those things. So I think some folks have been able to have enough separation from the rigorous kind of culture that now they're wanting something a little more um, calm and peaceful. So that's the shift that I'm seeing in a lot of people and creating what that looks like, right? Because we still have bills and we still got stuff we mm -hmm. got to do. What does me creating a more mindful, grounded version of my life look like? And as a business organization, we talk so much about people changing jobs right now. But you're saying that's okay. That's okay. The change is good. The change is good. What, what we learned from the last generation, love you guys, is <laughs> you get one job, then you, you, you elevate from there, and then you retire when you're 65. And mm -hmm. if you have any life in your body, then you get to enjoy your life. What we're realizing now is kind of like, no, I'm not doing that. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm not going to wait till I'm 65 to, to, to address my nervous system. And we're also noticing that, right, it's okay to make the shift now. Mm -hmm. I told somebody yesterday, I give you permission to make the shift out of what you were doing before. Because sometimes we feel like we need permission for some reason. If you're feeling a shift, good. Move towards it. That's, that's your inner self telling you something about where it wants to be. A lot of the choices that we made didn't have our inner self as a part of the, the decision-making process. So if you're feeling that shift, go for it. I love that. Yeah, and it's, I think so many people are really doubting um, what they should do next. And it's nice to hear you can change. And you know, productivity, we think of our days as we have to be productive. But as you've been saying, mindfulness can actually help you be more productive. How do we balance both um, here's my thing. I have a little spiel about productivity. <laughs> so, and, and it goes with that multitask thing of we were kind of taught to be productive from when we were children and we had markers to indicate how productive we were. They used to be grades, right? Now they're money, right? So mm -hmm. once you get into that, it's about the mindset though. Once you get into that mindset that there's always more and you should be pushing for more, what you forget is the markers of celebration for success. What you forget is the little things that are happening throughout your life. So if you continue to, I call it destination addiction, right? Mm -hmm. Because once you get to one destination, you're already planning for the next one. So using mindfulness as a way to kind of unplug yourself from that need to always do more and be more and grow. And, and there should be a balance of doing more and being more and growing more, but not at the expense of your health. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why we can't turn off at the end of the day to be mindful is because in that productivity mindset, we're still thinking about what needs to be done. There will always need to be things to be done. I was watching something the other day and the person said, it will never be done. And therefore, when you decide it's done, it is. And really coming away from that, got to do more, got to do more, got to do more. Because how can you be mindful if you're always thinking about work? 
Mm, or just dishes. What has to be done next? Right. You know? There's always more. There's always dirty clothes mm -hmm. or dirty oh. dishes or whatever. And it's like deciding you meet, reach the mark of success and sitting in that. Deciding that right now, today, I have been successful. Doing that once every six months. Because there's always more. There's a bigger house. There's a, there's a smaller body. There's longer hair. There's always more. Sitting in those moments of like, I'm good right now. I love that. I think I'm going to write that on my calendar. Six months. Six months. Every six months and a reminder. Success. Congratulations to me. I'm yeah. successful today because there's always more. Oh, isn't that the truth? And speaking of more, um, you recently gave an incredible TED Talk, and we recommend anyone watching this to go and watch it. You can find it on YouTube and on your website. And um, it was on generational trauma. It was in L.A., right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was an awesome production, awesome um, just to listen to what you said. And we want to know, one, when is the next one? <laughs> but two, you know, what kind of feedback did you get from that? And, um, you know, what motivated you to do that? I mean, sure, it was an honor to be asked, but um, this is obviously something you've studied and been working on. Um, why is this such a passion to you to speak about generational trauma? Well, first, I will say the biggest, I've gotten a lot of great feedback, and thank you, everyone, for watching. Um, I think some of the best feedback is, is my grandmother watched it, and she loved it. Or there was one, we went to dinner right after, and someone pulled me to the side, and she said, my parents don't speak English. But the energy off of what you were saying was, was remarkable. So mm -hmm. just, just people feeling like, like it's okay to change, I think that's a piece of it. And it's such a passion for me because we are very, very trained to think a certain way and do a certain way, but it is keeping us ill, legitimately sick. And I listen to people talk about illness all day, mind, body, spirit, illness. And I was starting to notice that the whole system works together. If you only address one and the other two are lacking, you know, if, if, you, if you feel good mentally, but you're always in chronic pain, there's, there's, not a, there's a connection that we're not talking about. So it's my passion to help people understand that if we do not get the whole system together, and the system starts with the nervous system, it starts with our ability to get out of survival, it starts with our ability to get out of fight or flight, you can't create new things in fight or flight all the time. Like your body gets exhausted. Um, and I think it was too just realizing that there's a lot of illnesses that don't happen in places outside of America. There are a lot of things that don't happen outside of America because of that productivity push, push, push. So really just having people understand of like, if we want to change the way things are going to be, we can't keep moving at the same level of, of height, heightenedness. We have to change that. And then probably COVID actually did shine a light on slowing down, even though it probably caused a whole another bunch of anxiety oh, issues yes. that, you know, we've all felt it did actually show us like what it would feel like to not rush out the door to work, to right. not rush home for dinner. Right, right. And I, I think too, um, what, we, what we learn culturally, um, we take as truth mm -hmm. and at some point in our development and evolving, it's important to look at those values and, and assess, reassess them to see if they are proponents of health. And sometimes they are not. And that's another piece that I talked about of some of our values and traditions are seeped in the trauma that's being handed down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. So it's important, you know, as you travel this earth, as you move forward, to reassess what you believe to be true.
about who you are, what you are, what you're doing, and why you're here. Yes, you did a, an exercise with us last time you were here about um, evaluating almost what your parents would expect and approve of and what you do, and are they the same? And it was just so um, insightful because you're right. I mean, even though I feel like we say their generation is really not too much long ago, you know, too far, far away, but um, it, it was more of this nine to five money, pension, retirement, and things have changed so much. And to compare those values is so interesting. And, and um, hopefully yeah. they'll, uh, people will be able to listen to you, give them that exercise in the future that your paths will cross because I know it taught us a lot here. Absolutely. Like one example I gave was like plastic on the furniture. <laughs> At some point that made sense to someone. It still does to some people. It's some people, and you know what? <laughs> I love that for you. Shine that thing on up. <laughs> but my point is, at one point, that was the only way to be. And we look at that and we say, well, that's just shenanery. We got to do that with everything, though. We can't just do that with the things that are, that are on the outside. We got to really look at those things that were given to us, especially culturally, you know, as, as black people. We were given kind of hard work as a core value. Mm -hmm by people who didn't want to do the work so much that they had to bring other people here to do the work. So is the definition of hard work even really what we're talking about? Mm -hmm. Like that deep. So I think it's important to go back to the table of like, mm, let me look at these things and see if I believe in them. Well, Jalan, I could keep you here all afternoon. Absolutely. I'm so excited that you are coming to When Women Lead. We'll have information on if you want to come uh, to that on our website. And uh, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to this week's BizCast. You can listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple, YouTube, SoundCloud. And for more episodes, head on over to CBIA.com.